Good morning and welcome to Naples United Church of Christ here in Naples, Florida. My name is Dawson Taylor and I serve as your senior minister. And I'm Deb Kaiser-Cross and I serve as the minister for congregational care here. Uh, David, could you get the tape measure? I need to make sure this is six feet. I think she's uh, a little close. No, uh, we're so grateful that you are joining us this morning via live stream and Facebook Live. And we are grateful for all of those who are making worship possible, both those here in worship and uh, our amazing administrative team who uh, are still hard at work, just remotely, who make all of the details still come together. Um, especially if you're worshiping with us for the first time online, we are grateful for all the ways that technology makes it possible for us to be together this morning. And we're grateful that you're joining us. And once we are past this pandemic, we hope that you will continue to join us in worship, perhaps in person, or continue to join us via live stream and Facebook Live. And just a reminder that we also have an audio podcast that should be uh, up and live later this afternoon if you wish to uh, replay parts of this worship service later this week. Uh, this Wednesday, I want to uh, invite you back virtually at noon. We will have our midweek meditation service. Reverend Rich Kirshner will be uh, preaching uh, at noon, and then the music will be provided by Lalo Basham on flute. It is always a remarkable way to center yourself, and I think most of us are uh, looking for ways to do that. So that is this Wednesday at 12, uh, again, virtually uh, available via live stream and Facebook Live. And then at 5 p.m. on uh, Wednesday evening, we have our Pastors Roundtable, which has been so much fun. We continue uh, looking at our Lenten book study, which is the book, If Grace is True. We'll be looking at the chapter, uh, chapter five, which I'm preaching about this morning, but really the, the, the Roundtable gives us a much uh, deeper opportunity to go more in depth into the book. You know, when you're, when you're preaching in the middle of a pandemic with a book study and a lectionary text, there's a lot of things that to try to cover, but the, the round table gives us a chance, especially with all four of our clergy team together, uh, it gives us an opportunity to really um, dive into some of the things that Gully and Mulholland raise, and let's be honest, they raise some really interesting things in this you chapter. Yes, without, without a doubt, especially this week. I mean, we already started the, yeah, uh, this morning uh, discussing that. So Deb, uh, amazingly, your uh, teams have been uh, doing, I think, some amazing ministry uh, this week. And I just, I, I want to publicly say thank you to you and to the congregational care area. But um, I think you have some pretty exciting news and I'll follow up with some, some okay. additional uh, information. But Well, you know, we have this amazing ministry here at Naples United Church of Christ, the Bargain Box for all, all the volunteers who worked so hard to raise money for missions. So this week, virtually, the Board of Mission Outreach voted to release $10,000 of their funds to go to Harry Chapin Food Bank to deal with this crisis. And the good thing is that $10,000 is going to be matched by a foundation so that really $20,000 is going to go to the senior care and share program right here in Collier County to help seniors be fed. So thanks to BOMO, thanks to the Bargain Box, and thanks to this congregation for constantly 
working hard at that. Yeah, I, I just, I was so amazed by that, it, as was the executive committee when, when mm -hmm. uh, I informed them on Tuesday night about it, because, you know, I think in this time, it's so easy to, to think about uh, all the ways to be afraid, mm -hmm. and yet this congregation is moving forward in generous ways and really at our core being mission-driven. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just so deeply grateful to our Board of Mission and Outreach. Yeah. Um, and there's that's not, more, I was going to say, that's not thing. the only yeah. way that they're, they're um, reaching out. You know, for those of you who've been around a while, instead of doing massive amounts of Easter flowers, we do a smaller amount and do Easter flower dedications. So it's an opportunity to donate money that can go to a, a charity, an outreach, a mission partner in our community. And picking up on the donation to Terry Chapin, we are going to designate all Easter flower donations to go to Harry Chapin Food Bank as well. Yeah, which I think is gonna be really great. And what we're going to do is on uh, Easter Sunday, we will certainly have flowers, but we're going to wait to do a, a larger flower uh, display when we return to in-person worship, which uh, following the CDC uh, guidelines will be on Sunday, May 17th. If that doesn't change, then uh, we will have uh, our first in-person worship that day, and we'll have the larger uh, flower uh, display that day. But we're still inviting people to uh, give those flowers, and so there will be, uh, the ways you can do that is there will be a form in the e-blast on Wednesday this week. You can call the church office starting in the morning and uh, make a gift uh, via credit card. You can send a check to the church, and uh, of course, we're checking mail every day. And so there are all of the typical ways you can make the uh, the dedication in honor or in memory of uh, a loved one, a friend. And so we uh, invite you to continue to do that. Again, the form will be available in the e-blast that goes out on Wednesday, or you can call the church office or mail uh, that in. You know, and then in partnership with BOMO, uh, we had a, uh, there's a great idea by one of my uh, boards that I work with, and that is um, the chair of our board of deacons, John Ballou, had a great idea. And that is every year on Palm Sunday, which is next Sunday, we give out palm crosses. And we already had the palm crosses because we were ready for Palm Sunday. And next Sunday is uh, a mm -hmm. communion Sunday. And so we had begun to make plans weeks ago about if we were still worshiping in person, what would communion look like? And so we had uh, ordered some communion elements that are self-contained, the juice and the wafer together. And so this Friday from nine until noon in the portico, we're inviting you to come drive through. And if you have uh food available, uh, canned food, non-perishable food available, to drop it off for our cans for communion for Grace Place because mm -hmm. they have an important uh, uh, food pantry that'll be open this Saturday. So if you, either if you're headed north and you want uh, those food supplies to go to someone who needs it, or if you have extra food or are able to get extra food and want to make it available, drop that off Friday morning, 9 to noon. And then also these packets will be available. They have two palm crosses, two communion sets, and you're invited to pick one of those up 
for uh, Communion Sunday next Sunday, and then also for Maundy Thursday, which is the night that Jesus instituted communion. And so we invite you to pick one of these up to come through. Um, that will be a, a time in which you can do that. And each of these has been packaged very carefully, and there's a note telling you that. And so we're grateful to uh, this partnership between the staff, the Board of Deacons, uh, the Board of uh, mission and outreach, and uh, especially to John Ballou for his great idea. And so uh, we invite you to uh, drive through and uh, take care of that. Will you join your hearts with mine in prayer? Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we continue to give you thanks for the gift of this day. And we ask, O oh God, that in this time of worship that you would speak either through me or in spite of me, but that above all else we would hear with clarity what it is that you say to us this day. All of this we trust and we ask in your many names. This morning's scripture reading can be summarized simply as the greatest funeral in history. I'm reminded of the story of the three friends who were all killed in a car accident and they were immediately found to be in heaven with God. They were all asked the same question. When you are in your casket and your friends and your family are mourning you and what would you like to hear them say about you? The first person responded, I would like to hear them say he was a great doctor, a great family man. The second person responded, I would love to hear them say he was a wonderful husband and a great teacher, and he made a huge difference in the children of tomorrow. The last guy thought for a moment and then said, I would like to hear them say, look, he's moving. Indeed, Lazarus was moving. He was walking, and we assume talking, because he was again alive. I must admit that if I had been officiating the memorial service that day, and suddenly the one whom I was honoring got up out of the casket and began to walk around, I don't think I would stay in ministry. After Jesus has this talk with Martha and then with her sister Mary, he asks to be taken to the tomb of Lazarus. They assumed that he wanted to go and to pay his respects, but then when he got there, he makes this amazing statement. Take away the stone. Even to this day in Israel, grave sites are carved into the hillsides. The soft limestone is cut away, dirt and rock removed, and a body placed in the hollowed-out tomb. And then a large stone is placed at the opening to close it off and protect it from animals and grave robbers. When Jesus uttered those words, you probably could have heard a pen drop. Everyone was staring in amazement. Why would Jesus want to look 
into the graveside simply to see a mummified body. In that culture and in that time, they did not have embalming elements as we do today. When a person died, they would have wrapped the body in spices and then tape him up literally just like a mummy. Lazarus was dead now for four days, and so everyone was trying to figure out what Jesus was doing. And then after calling on God in prayer, Jesus shouts out three words that sent chills up everyone's spine. Lazarus, come out. Even as those majestic words hung in the air, Scripture tells us the dead man came out his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in cloth. And then Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And that's the end of the story. At least the end of the story of Lazarus's resurrection from the dead. The next time we hear about Lazarus is in chapter 12 in John's gospel. When Jesus is dining at the home of Mary and Martha, and it tells us that Lazarus is sitting there at the table. But can you imagine the tears and the laughter and the murmurs of disbelief that day at the tomb when Lazarus walked out? Can you imagine the disbelief and the utter joy that must have filled that small crowd? Can you imagine what Lazarus and his sisters must have felt like? Can you imagine what it must have been like when Lazarus died again? Do you think that they said things like, I wouldn't get too heavy of a stone to place over the grave. You know, he's done this once before. Do you think that there were those who didn't show up a second time to pay their respects? Do you think the sisters perhaps didn't grieve right away? Do you think his community was really able to say goodbye the second time? Or was there a thought of doubt in the back of their minds? Death is inevitable. The fact of death is certain, is it not? The date of death is uncertain. Do you realize that human beings are the only creatures who know they are going to die and therefore we are the only creatures who desperately try to forget it? If you don't believe me, just start talking about death at a dinner party and watch how people quickly change the conversation. We try in so many ways to put death out of our minds. For example, has it ever occurred to you that we buy life insurance instead of death insurance? The beneficiary cannot collect it while they are living. You can only collect it while once you are deceased. 
So why do we call it life insurance? Death is public enemy number one. We do everything we can to avoid it. Buckle up, use airbags, sleep more, run, eat less fat, more protein, less caffeine, more vegetables, more fruit, take our vitamins, hit the gym. Yet we all know that only death is inevitable and inescapable. Euripides, the Greek poet, once said, death is the debt we must all pay. And I don't know about you, but it feels like our society, our nation, and really our entire world is dealing right now with a renewed view of our mortality. Certainly because of COVID-19, but also because we have more time on our hands more time to sit and to think, more time to be still, more time to read stories of those who are afraid and those who are battling the disease, stories of heroism and of the healthcare workers and those who are battling and those who have, we have lost in unexpected moments, stories like the beloved father Don Berardelli, age 72, a priest in northern Italy who was given a ventilator purchased by members of his parish, but he refused to use it, instead insisting that a younger person in the hospital whom he did not know have it instead and subsequently died week before last. As people of faith, these issues also meet us in the liturgical season of Lent, a reflective season of penitence where we naturally think about our own mortality as we walk the week of Jesus's mortality. These reflections get boiled down to so many of the questions that Phil Gully and James Mulholland wrestle within chapter 5 of their book, If Grace is True, Why God Will Save Every Person. The chapter, titled simply The Salvation of God, examines whether Jesus had to die to redeem the world. Gully and Mulholland make the point, if we serve such a loving God, why would that God demand a human blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of humanity? What Gully and Mulholland begin to grapple with is the reality that it was humanity's rejection of grace that created the need for Jesus's crucifixion. But once again, God rejected humanity's rejection and was able to resurrect even the most hopeless of situations. Just as Jesus did for Lazarus that day at the tomb. In 1927, an S-4 Navy submarine was accidentally rammed by a Coast Guard cutter, sending it immediately 
to the bottom of the bay. The entire crew was trapped. Every effort made to rescue them, but also every effort failed. Near the end of the four-day attempt to bring the men to the surface, a diver placed his helmeted ear to the side of the vessel and heard someone tapping Morris code from inside. This was the question he heard. Is there any hope? Perhaps you have found yourself asking that question over these last few weeks. From a virus that started so far away to a pandemic that is now in our own backyard. From a roaring economy to a now $2 trillion stimulus package. With the email that I received a few weeks back that said, Dawson, this feels like Noah's Ark. To the Facebook message that I received this week that simply read, I'm losing my faith. I can only imagine how hopeless Mary and Martha felt that day, a day when their beloved brother Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days and the one person they had faith in did not show up. And yet God redeemed the death of Lazarus through Jesus by calling forth that whom others had deemed hopeless. And so on this, the fifth Sunday of Lent, two weeks before the celebration of Easter, perhaps we find ourselves asking, is there any hope? I believe with all of my heart that God is preparing to redeem our lives and the world again. And that we will hear a resurrected Jesus once again exclaim, unbind them and let them go.